This edition of The Standard is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. ES Audio. From the Evening Standard in London, I'm Mark Blunden, and this is The Leader. This week's been a tale of woe for Londoners just trying to go about our daily business. Those tube strikes again left more people cramming on buses, just trying our best to keep calm and carry on. And as the temperatures rise, oh joy, there's more industrial action on the horizon. But what about the future? Your capital in 2050, when the population is predicted to have risen by well over a million people, how will the road and TfL's tube and rail networks cope? And how is it all being planned for? Well, the answer is apparently all to do with your digital twin, making up what's known as a synthetic population, zipping around a computer doing virtual tasks and errands, just like a human would. So what's in store, and can our grid cope with all those new electric cars. We're joined by Dr. Aruna Sivakumar, a reader in consumer demand modelling and urban systems at Imperial College London's Centre for Transport Studies, who's also director of the Urban Systems Lab and is an expert on smart cities of the future. So Aruna, how is London's growing population informing transport modelling for the future? I think that um, if the public transport system were being used as well as it was pre-pandemic, there wouldn't be capacity for much more expansion of, uh, of demand. So population growth to 10 million or more would place a stress on the transport network. There's no doubt about that. It would just exacerbate all of the issues in terms of congestion, air quality, safety, even if the current public transport network were used quite well. And I I say used quite well cautiously because the issue with most networks, public transport or otherwise, is this whole peak effect, right? So the fact that it's not used all the time, if you could spread the demand out throughout the day as needed or as desired, then there's enough capacity in the transport network. There's no doubt about it. But it is a fact that people need to get to work within a certain time frame. Perhaps it's not like it used to be 10 years ago when everyone needed to get to work at 9 a.m. Perhaps there's a bit more flexibility, but nevertheless, there's perhaps a four-hour time frame in the morning when people need to get to work. So maybe you spread that peak a bit, but it's not spread over the entire course of the day. Having said that, 
London is an exception, of course, where there's almost, at least when I'm passing through London, I feel like there's a peak throughout the day, at least in central London, if not in, in um, the peripheries. So I think it will, the main issue will be to exacerbate all of the, all of the concerns that exist. But with increasing electrification of private vehicles, um, fleet vehicles, and so on, um, the stress will not just be on the transport system, it will also be on the electricity network, because they're increasingly being coupled. And on the one hand, that's great in terms of addressing fuel dependence or fossil fuel dependence. But on the other hand, it's a significant challenge that needs to be addressed. And and, um, I, I think the people, various stakeholders are well aware of that. What's your understanding about how increasing demand from electric vehicles is impacting the capital's power grid? As far as I'm aware, with the growth in electric vehicles to date, I don't think we have caused any significant panic in the trans- in the electricity network, or at least not that I'm aware of, though I'm not an expert in that space. But I do know from colleagues I work with here at Imperial College who are in the electrical engineering department that if we were to have all vehicles in London uh, being electric, then yes, we would face a potential crisis in terms of managing electricity demands unless there's some means of spreading that demand over time and space appropriately. There's also something that we as users of those electric vehicles don't see as much, but the environmental sustainability of the materials that go into the batteries, which is another big question. Sure, we can have cleaner mobility because you don't have tailpipe emissions, but how clean are the battery production or the, or the fact that you're using certain certain materials to make those batteries? How, how, how sustainable is that? There's still a question. So how do your micro simulation models of London help you to predict what modes of transport will be used in the future? And what do these models look like? So the agent-based and activity-based micro simulation models basically show us every one of these agents in the synthetic population as little dots on a map moving from home to work, maybe going out for lunch, um, shopping in the evening, coming back home, maybe picking up children. So everything that an individual may do over the course of the day in terms of their mobility patterns, but increasingly, it's not just their mobility patterns, but what activities are being undertaken. Now, at the moment, this capacity is a bit limited because, as you can imagine, data is not easy to to come by. But we also want to be able to say, what are they doing when they're in a building? So if I'm at work and over my lunchtime, if my little dot that represents somebody like me has done their online shopping, then that means I'm not going to shop, stop on the way back home to go to the supermarket, perhaps. And so these trade-offs in terms of what somebody is doing digitally or virtually and physically are also represented by these dots moving around in the map. So there's the physical movement of the dots on the map, but there's also the underlying information about what the these dots are doing. Let's go to the ads. Stay there to hear more about your digital twin, flying taxis and the outlook for London's historic roads. Why not hit rate and follow in the meantime. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. 
Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. So why is modelling for the future so important to help improve journeys and hopefully stop everything from grinding to a halt? Modelling in different forms, and when I say modelling, I mean mathematical modelling, is a key part of planning for the future. It has been in many different domains. It has its weaknesses. How do we address uncertainty? There's so much uncertainty about the future, and that's increasingly become an issue right now post-pandemic. So it has its weaknesses, but regardless, planning is important, just as we wouldn't uh, make decisions in our lives without some sort of planning forward, looking forward into the future and making assumptions of what that future might be like in order to inform our plans when there's billions of pounds and uh, the safety, equity, comfort, convenience, livelihoods of millions of people at stake. Planning is clearly very important and mathematical models contribute to that planning process. So there's no doubt about that. Now, there are a variety of tools that are available to achieve that mathematical modeling. There are time series models, which are much more about the transport economics, for example, or safety. There are aggregate models of traffic flows that we use to understand uh, what the flow of traffic across a city looks like, where congestion bottlenecks are, and how changes in, for example, one-way systems on the road network or traffic signalization and so on can impact that traffic flow more efficiently. There's network models. Then there's activity-based models, which is what I mostly work with. And they all sit alongside each other. They have different purposes, different strengths, different weaknesses. You need the best tool for the right purpose. Now, I develop activity-based models of travel demand as to some extent, not entirely, but to some extent as a substitute for more traditional trip and tour-based models. And this is primarily because activity-based models can better capture trade-offs between digital and physical time use and the implications of this for travel demand. So whether people work from home, work while they're traveling to work or elsewhere, work at work and travel to there, all of these, how people use their time in the digital world and the physical world has implications for travel demand. And that trade-off is best understood if you can model travel demand as an activity-based approach, uh, which acknowledges that travel ultimately is a derived demand. And what we're really doing is traveling in order to undertake certain activities that are distributed over time and space. Now, these activity-based models, as I said, 
are a semi-substitute, let me call it, for the more traditional trip and tour-based models for strategic planning purposes in order to be able to estimate what travel demands might look like in different scenarios 10 years from now. What if you had expanded road user charging? What if you had, for instance, a much, much much expanded uh, public transport infrastructure or let's say dynamic uh, public transport. So what if you had public transport on demand or on demand transit uh, in, in such a world, what will travel demand look like? If you had road user charging per mile, what would travel demand look like? If you had 50% of anyone who could work from home, working from home two days a week, what would that look like? Per mile charging, what's that about? It's been floating around as an idea for a long time. Of course, it has been not seriously considered for almost obvious reasons. It wouldn't be a very popular thing in the first place. However, from a research perspective, it's been an idea that's been explored for a while. There's been um, not perhaps studied enough, and that's one of the reasons why I'm focusing on it at the moment, but it's been around for a few decades, the idea in the research domain and at a high level in the policy domain that suggested that one of the solutions to addressing the funding gap could be road user charging in in the sense that the road user charging would address two objectives at the same time. On the one hand, ensuring that there's some management of road traffic, but at the same time also addressing some of the funding gap by shifting that the emphasis on public transport infrastructure. We spoke earlier about the impact on the grid from electric vehicles. What's your view on how London's oldie-woldie roads will cope in the decades ahead? I don't see that as much of an issue. Yes, roads are old. Perhaps the bridges uh, face the brunt of how old the transport network is, as we've been seeing in different parts of London. Um, But there's also so much innovation. So, for example, in Greenwich, We have a part of Greenwich that's part of a smart mobility living lab where autonomous vehicles operate. Um, And no doubt there are challenges because these are trials, but it's been retrofitted into an existing road network in London, admittedly not in central London, but nevertheless, it's not a particularly brand new spanking new part of London either. And similarly, we've been involved in trials all over London of vehicle-to-grid services to encourage electrification of transport fleets and um, vehicle-to-grid charging, which is basically bi-directional charging infrastructure that vehicles can both draw charge and return charge to the electricity network have been installed in different parts of London. That hasn't been a challenge. I think at the end of the day, sure, we have an old road network, but we also have a very mature transport network. And it will cost, there's there's always cost involved in, in adapting networks. But I think that the London's transport network is up for the challenge. And finally, Aruna, many thanks for your time. What cities are really exciting you in terms of their urban research to become smart cities of the future? How about those flying taxi tests in Dubai? Singapore has some really interesting... uh, In fact, they have a digital twin of the entire city, the transport network of the entire city. That's really exciting. Dubai, as you mentioned it, with their trials of flying taxis, Um, is fascinating. There's lots of research all over the world that I find exciting. But actually, what 
partly keeps me very happy and content is that there's a lot of research in London and the UK as well, because there are pockets all over the UK where there's been so much innovative, forward-looking work in the transport domain. The data stores and the and the data open data networks that have been built in parts of the West Midlands are amazing and really futuristic. Even though most people won't appreciate it because it's not as cool as a flying taxi visually. It's got huge implications for what is possible um, in terms of managing the transport networks. There's more on this story in the Evening Standard newspaper and online at standard.co.uk. That's The Leader. We're back on Monday at 4pm. Hi, I'm Lawrence Delalio, host of the Evening Standard Rugby podcast, brought to you in partnership with QBE Business Insurance. The show is available to listen to now and right up to the end of the season, when the winners of the Champions Cup will be crowned at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, and the fight for the Premiership title will be decided at Twickenham. QBE is one of the world's leading insurers, and they will help your business build resilience through risk management and insurance solutions. Subscribe and download now wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.